This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with your revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartso, CEO of Ambition Data. Every other week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer centric revolution who share their expert advice. If you are ready to accelerate, then let's go. Welcome, everybody. Today's show is about how to lead personalization. And to help me discuss this topic is Ben Malky. Ben is the Director of Customer Success at Dynamic Yield, a personalization platform. Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you're originally landed in this subject area of personalization? Yeah, absolutely. So I have worked in digital marketing and SaaS for about a decade now. And one of the great things about working in SaaS is that you get exposed to so many different companies, both large and small, some brand names, some non-brand names. And I've seen you know, so many successes and failures in organizations attempting to stand up new digital practices or improve current ones. And it always seemed to fall back on this simple concept of process and ownership. And that's essentially how I got into my position as the director of customer success for this personalization software. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about personalization first, because I oftentimes hear about people saying that they already do personalization. Hey, I sent you an email last week and I used your first name and maybe I even added a few products you looked at. So tell us a little bit about what does it mean to really personalize or to do personalization today? Are there different levels people think about? Yeah, I would say there's several different levels. Um, Our view of personalization or my view of personalization essentially is creating content segmented to specific audiences. That can also be experiences um, and really anything that you can do with your digital marketing execution. Uh, the first thing for me is making sure your organization is ready for uh, to start personalizing um, and has a clear vision in mind for what personalization means to your organization and what you want out of it. And then, of course, having a structured ownership and accountability that with someone who owns and can press play on your website, I would say. So in terms of the different levels of what it means to segment, I would say that from a crawl perspective and a crawl, walk, run model, from a crawl perspective, the first thing is to understand that you have segmented behavior and understanding and really identifying what I like to call one segmentation principle. This can be as simple as new and returning. It could be along gender lines or geo lines that makes the most sense for your business and can really cleanly bucket your audiences in the different distinct groups. And the most important thing is that it doesn't have to be perfect, just done so you can get started. Yeah, that's a really great concept because I think a lot of people will go for some convoluted, very rich and deep kind of personalization structure. And then you have people who come on the opposite end. If you're going to lead through personalization, does it matter if you start on one end or the other? It really doesn't. I would say that if you're starting with the most convoluted, most complicated, most complex different audience segments, if it's the first time that your organization has done something like this that might present some execution pitfalls uh, that you might not be able to act on. So that's why I prefer, particularly when it's new to the org, to have something a little bit more simple that's really understandable across the different levels of the organization. And you could just get started and then, of course, refine from there. Tell us a little bit about what kind of execution pitfalls you've seen for people at the crawl stage. Yeah. So at the crawl stage, what's really important is, particularly if you've never done this before, is for not only your department, but your executives and different departments across the organization to understand the different things that you're doing. 
And so if you have something that's essentially inscrutable, maybe to others in the org who aren't as familiar with all the information and all the, uh, let's say... The jargon. The jargon and the concepts that you have, it's going to be really hard to involve them in the process if they just inherently don't understand it. And so getting a developer to, let's say, code different experiences for something that they totally don't get or have copywriters or your creatives try to create for something that they don't inherently understand, that's going to be really difficult. And it's also going to be hard to get executive cover or sign off on something that's not understandable to them either. I've heard some people use betting. They put up all the variations up on the wall and they ask people to bet on which one they think will actually be the highest performing outcome. And that gets people involved and gets them engaged in it. What do you think of that strategy? I love it, actually. One of my favorite experiences at Dynamic Yield has included having a bet with a customer on which variation of something would work or wouldn't work. I'd like very happy to say that. I won that bet, thank you. But I think anything, I think that's really cool. It's fun, everybody. It makes it fun, but also actionable. I think anything that can get people excited for whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, I think is a total win. Yeah, it's amazing how many preconceived notions we have and we're always coming at it from our own perspective instead of our customer's perspective. And I imagine that's a little bit of what you see when people move up to the walk stage. Yeah, absolutely. At the walk stage, you should have already had something in place at least for a couple different iterations and have communicated at least to the most relevant departments that you work with. Um, I think this is where you can take it, particularly if you started with something really basic. I think this is a great opportunity to just to introduce the idea for some organizations of customer lifetime value. Oh, God, we'd love that. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but I think this is particularly, let's say, if you're a multi-category retailer. This is such a great way to not only to bucket your customers cleanly, but also in a way where you can look at moving customers up to active or the most valuable um, iterations of your customers that you can have that can really generate a lot of success and a lot of incrementality. What else do you see them doing from a leadership perspective at that middle stage? What changes from the basic? Yeah, so I think this is where it extends beyond either one solo department going a little bit rogue and then bringing it out to the executive or having one executive cover for this. So I think this is when you start to see it spread throughout the organization, which is really where you see it when you get to that stage when the whole organization is behind this. That's when you're going to have the most success. One of my favorite examples of getting to this stage is an awesome client that we have that sent out a test roundup that showed all the different things that they tried, what worked, what didn't work, and why. And that generated so much excitement, particularly from elements of the organization, departments in the organization that had no idea this was happening. Happening. Once they did that, they were able to get resource, excitement, test ideas, etc. Uh, that's usually what that looks like for us. Is that a bad thing to get test ideas pouring through? Sometimes be careful what you wish for, right? But I think any sort of engagement, particularly at the executive level, is a positive thing as long as you can funnel that into a process that works for the execution. So you're not just racing to the next shiny object, but you have your testing roadmap or your program roadmap that is backed by what's important to the business and the business outcomes that you're looking for. So an executive outside of your org, outside of your department who's giving you ideas, that's great. But as long as they understand, you're not going to just jump from thing to thing just because they want you to. Yeah, I like what you said before about spreading through the organization because I think that's where the customer aspect is so valuable is because it does permeate across the organization and all the different departments. So you can get everyone speaking the same language when you get them all in the green of the customer. Yeah, for something like this to work, it has to be scalable and consistent. Um, and consistency is really key to that scalability, if you will. 
So once you have the entire organization speaking the same way and looking at the same, for instance, KPIs and understanding what's important to them as a business and what are the things that might be interesting but not necessarily primary for them to track or discuss, I think that this is when this goes from pet project to something that really brings in organizational change and incrementality and effectiveness. Yeah, and I always find that there are certain things that happen inside an organization, like maybe change is underfoot in another area, like COVID comes through, and all of a sudden there's an opportunity to step in and do more. And if you can align with some other change that's already happening in a way, you can kind of, I think you can ride that wave. What do you think? Yeah, I would say when you have a really strong process, no matter what it is, you are essentially less thrown to the whims of whatever the, if there are major changes, for instance, like COVID that come into place. The strong process allows you to work consistently um, in good times, bad times, crazy times, whatever the case might be. So particularly for something like personalization, if you have a really strong concept of who your customers are, what they need, what they like to, to what they like from you, how they want to interact with you, etc., what really moves the needle with them. Something even like COVID shouldn't change the way that you operate there if you have the customers in mind, first and foremost. Their behavior might change, but you can change right with it if that's what you've been focused on um, even before them. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Okay, so what about the third stage? So it's crawl, walk, and then what happens at run? Yeah, so at run, you should have already had an organizational agreement and alignment on the different segments that you started to work with. And this is not only, let's say, in the e-commerce department, this is across all digital. And the executives also have a very strong idea of what these segments are, what they mean, what they represent, and how you're working towards driving incrementality at each of the site, at each segment level. And this is really, at this point, you should be running with your process that is consistent every single time. You have consistent KPI reporting cadences. You have consistent reports that get funneled up and there's tight alignment across all the different departments that are really working towards the same goal. From here, your organization should be really focused at the execution level, at the ideation execution level from the customer perspective, instead of concerning yourself more with what do we need, for instance, if you have high inventory levels that you're trying to clear out or major thing or major categories that you're trying to promote that are secondary to what your customers need from you and, and what you need to do for them, if you will. So Ben, I imagine that people like you who have a lot of expertise in this area and you talk to a lot of people start to develop a certain sense of what the maturity might sound like for any given degree. So for example, when we do our customer-centric maturity, we oftentimes will benchmark someone on the lower stages when we ask them if they trust their data. And if they don't trust their data, then we know they're not ready for anything else. So are there certain phrases that you commonly hear that people people might listen for internally to help them identify where their own organization is. Yeah, so trust your data is a great one that I've heard quite a few times. And to me, what that means is that there's not like an accepted source of truth for data. Obviously, that's huge and a total prerequisite to enacting great process here. Um, the things that I hear that give me a very strong indication as to essentially the personalization maturity or the test and learn maturity curve are things like, I know this isn't necessarily what the numbers say, but my executive wants to do X, Y, or Z. Um, for organizations that still prioritize anecdotal opinion, 
opinions over what the data is telling you to do. To me, that is a great indicator of a lot of work that's needed to be done um, inside the organization to convince them of putting in strong process that is data-led. Um, other things would be when you hear, for instance, like, oh, you know, well, that's the email department and they're doing something different, or that's the paid search department. I'm not sure what they're doing. Um, to me, that's indicators of a siloed organization that's not really working towards the same goal and have different priorities and different things that they're concerned about. That could also lead to totally different concepts of who, of what their segments are and some disruption and let's say brand voice and general execution. So for this to work, those things are important indicators of how truly empowered and collaborative an organization is to make this fly. Those are great suggestions for things to listen to because I oftentimes find that folks who are trying to get it off the ground are really looking for not only just those sound bites to understand what to do, but examples from other companies that kind of say, oh, they did it over here like this. Are there particular examples you can share about how companies got through these hurdles and how they came, maybe how they used personalization to a stronger effect? Yeah, well, one of my favorite examples, I really love this, um, is from an amazing client of ours called Stella and Dot, um, who sells some beautiful jewelry. And Stella and Dot really bought into our organizational best practice theories, if you will, around personalization. And then as soon as they start very directly correlated with how much they started to personalize, um, you know, first understanding who their segments were and then coming up with a really great data-led plan of how they wanted to execute, you see there how we measure personalization and their purchase per user, which is really a stand-in for conversion in many ways, went up 125% over about four quarters. And it was beautiful for me. It was a really amazing story and beautiful for me as we preach this all the time to see those two lines um, so correlated, so connected. Um, in this case, we have a great brand with a really loyal and passionate customers who essentially had it drove a, a natural set of audiences that almost self-segmented in a way. And the Stella and Dot team, who's a really, really amazing team over there, they really just, they ran with that. And as soon as they started to tailor messaging and tailor experience to each of those very unique audiences that they have, you saw that that conversion skyrocket for them. I want to hit on the leadership side here a little bit more because I think there's something baked into the Stella and Dot example that people may not pick up on. And that's the idea that these are almost digitally native brands. And Stella and Dot hasn't been around for 100 years like maybe an insurance company has or other legacy companies. Is it easier to do personalization or I should say, is it easier to lead personalization if you are from a digitally native brand? It's a really great question. And I would say inherently my everybody's favorite answer, which is it depends. But as a digitally native brand, of course, you're going to have uh, what I find in those organizations is that they're typically a little bit more ready for the data to lead the way. And they're typically more collaborative, just as I think a result of having to work with smaller, with less resource and work together and wear a lot of different hats, particularly if they were in startup mode. Um, and that essentially permeates the organization. And typically, they haven't been around long enough for them to pick up possibly some bad habits along the way, if that makes sense, particularly when it comes to very siloed departments that work independently of each other. You know, so what we find in those digitally native organizations is that they're also more agile, they're faster. Um, and that, of course, lends itself really well to having a great test and learn program that works across all of their digital executions. 
On the other hand, when you have, let's say, a legacy, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 company, basically a big company that's been around for a while, the obvious benefit there is that they have more resource and more resource allows you to execute more things. But if you can't create a process that leverages that resource that you have, then essentially it amounts to very little. So it sounds like we're really saying that in order to lead effectively, process is key. Process is everything. For me, particularly having worked in SaaS outside of personalization coming from the search world of others, I saw that that was true in SEO. I see that's true in paid search and I see that's true in personalization. At the end of the day, if your organization hasn't enacted great process with real accountability and ownership, and that is an essential element of it, um, having someone who is purpose-led and at the end of the day responsible for success with a clear organizational plan for what you want to accomplish, then unfortunately it's going to turn into shelfware, as they say. Yep. And are there any tricks you found that allow people to get into that process more easily? Yeah, I would say one of the ways that we've seen organizations who may have looked like they were on the wrong track is by really getting the message out there, possibly going rogue and putting some tests live. And then as soon as you start showing the numbers and start showing the data, that tends to perk some ears up and get people excited when they start to see incremental returns from revenue or purchase or conversion, whatever the case might be, whatever is the most relevant KPI. As soon as you start communicating that or essentially marketing internally what you've done and what you plan to do and you could show real numbers behind it, they I've seen many times that this has a lot of power in helping an organization to modernize or change their ways quite a bit. This sounds like Jerry Maguire scene. Show me the money. And <laughs> <laughs> that's that's precisely what it comes down to. I've seen organizations that were really opposed to doing this and then they saw that money. And they said, oh, okay, there's something to it. Eventually, you're going to make somebody like, you're going to make somebody look good. So they'll, they'll go for it at the end of the day. That's a good argument for picking the low-hanging fruit, for sure. Cool. Are there any other examples you want to share with us? Yeah, there's several others. I think the Stellan dot one is the most incredible when you see that 125% purchase per user improvement. You know, there's some other major brand named retailers who have seen a lot of success with this approach, but a lot of times those are the ones who've maybe been around a little bit longer. But another client of ours that we love is a great example of leveraging personalization to see a lot of success. Um, they used a little bit. Did you say the name of the company? Sorry, I missed it. Yeah, it was Paxson. Uh, but Paxson's a really great example of leveraging some CLV type audiences to see some really great success and some really great numbers. And then another client of ours that we love, of course, is Third Love, um, a really incredible organization that's done a lot of great work in the, with the personalization concepts that, that we've worked with them on. And in both cases, was it the organizational readiness that made it powerful or was it the way that somebody took ownership and leadership? What was it that helped them take flight? It was actually essentially one from each bucket. Third Love has one of the best operations that I've ever been around in my career, even stretching beyond just my career in digital. They are an incredibly empowered organization that works really fast and they're all just really brilliant. And they just have the right mindset. They're very data first and they just execute so well and they're all on the same page. 
They came out of the gate flying, and I've been impressed with them since day one that they've come on board. With PacSun, it was an organizational change that really was about empowerment, and that as soon as they empowered this team to start doing what they saw fit, um, we saw a lot of incredible improvement there and saw a lot of incrementality in return. Nice. Okay. Well, let's say that I'm convinced, and I really want to do more leadership internally. I really want to get personalization off the ground. What should I do first? How should I think about this? Well, I would say the first thing is, again, from a process perspective, understanding what you want to get out of this, who's going to run it, who's going to be responsible and who they're going to work with. So essentially, uh, you know, check once you have that, then you're ready to go. From there, to really get your personalization program off the ground, it's determining what your key segmentation variable is. Now, this is different from determining your actual segment. So it's really understanding what is going to be the basis of our audiences that serves to bucket our users into cleaner buckets without a lot of crossover. Um, that's understandable at all the different levels of the organization. And that's once you have that, then you could start to really determine and who those, those segments are. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you said without a lot of crossover, uh, because that concept of not having a lot of crossover, it's not that you can't do tests with crossover. It's just that it's hard for people to get their heads around the results, especially when you're trying to make progress. Would I be right in that assessment? That's exactly correct. And so if you have a ton of crossover, then you're really not sure what the outcome is. And you really have no idea what to do from there. One of the most important things is that clarity that comes with, first of all, understanding how these segments were built. So what they were built off of, if you will, and then making sure you're never going to have perfect. There's always going to be a little bit of crossover, but keeping that to a minimum allows you to get very clear learnings and understandings out of it. Yeah, that's exactly why we like CLV as that key segmentation variable. But I know companies use all kinds of different variables. There's so many different ways that you can go with this. I love CLV because it's instantaneously understandable and consumable. And then it also gives you a goal for, let's say, if you went with, a, let's just say, low, medium, high in terms of customer intent or customer value, you're, the goal is to get people from that low to that high or that low to that medium and that medium to that high. And so it builds in a whole second level of goals, which I think is really exciting. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay. What would be the next step? So once you have that segmentation variable figured out, and then you start to map out who your customers are. You know, this is where you go to create your segments, right? Um, so under building them into whatever platform you're using, uh, making sure that there's your analytics platform has a clear layout for, for so you can track them going forward. And then really putting that together and having a, a really clear idea of where of who they are. Um, from there, it's time to act, right? So understanding, letting the data lead, understanding what, uh, when, which segment, you know, what the segments need. For you know, for instance, you might, if you went with low, medium, high, let's say that your high segment is probably not, a, doesn't, it probably isn't a huge conversion need there. But let's say we need to, we could institute a goal of adding a dollar to their AOV or getting them to add an item to their basket. Whereas for low, that's probably going to be more conversion led. So understanding at the segment level what the data-led opportunity is and standardizing, starting to create different experiences or messaging or content, whatever the case might be, for those segments and really standardizing the process of um, from ideation to execution to analysis for at the segment level. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And then lastly, you know, this is, I think, one of the most underrated elements of personalization, which is to capture the learning. Personalization isn't just about deriving the mentality from each segment on every test. It's also about understanding, about learning about your customers by analyzing their behavior on each test and then asking yourself, well, why did we see that? 
once you're able to capture those learnings and really create so institutionalized understanding of who these customers are, what I love to say is think about from test one to test 50, if you in every single test, you ask yourself why and capture those learnings. Think about how much you're going to know about your customers. You're going to know almost everything. Now, it's never going to be a, you can always learn more, of course, but you're going to know what makes them tick. And so I think that's a, a huge value derived that you can derive from a process like this. Well, not only that, but I think there's some defensibility there in that somebody comes in, let's say you do get your testing program up and running, and there's a lot of effort coming through to stage and push out different tests. Having something that says, oh, we already tested that when it comes back around a year later is really helpful to go back to, or at least this is what we've we found when you get a new executive in or you get somebody else who doesn't, you know, has found another way to attack the same problem and it's already been settled that that does not work, it becomes a really good way for the testing team to say, you know, this is what we believe to be true. If there's a really interesting twist on that, we can look at how to change that hypothesis. But the hypothesis you've presented is already been proven to be wrong. Is there a really valid reason for why we should do this again? Is that what you see too? Yeah, and I love that you called that out. I think that's a huge win for any department to be able to, and for any organization, to really be able to build on each of those learnings because in, in essence, that's really what it is. And you can always revisit, but without the historical context, you're essentially just spinning wheels for no reason. So there, it's really, again, it always come back to, it always comes back to process to make sure that you are capturing in one single source of truth that is, you know, transparent across the org. So it's not owned just by, let's say, one person in case that person leaves. And I think it's incredibly powerful when you could say, oh, we did that and this is what happened. And if we were going to do it again, here's what we would do differently. Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, Ben, if people want to reach you and ask you more questions, how can they get in touch? Yeah, so my email is, the best way to get a hold of me is by email. It's um, ben.malki at dynamicyield.com. And that's M-A-L-K-I. That is M-A-L-K-I, yes. Of course, I'm available on LinkedIn, again, just at, at Ben Malky. And uh, we also have a lot more information about best practice in organizational best practice of, of personalization on our um, incredible blog, which is dynamicyield.com slash blog. And there's a lot of great information on there, but feel free to reach out to me directly. Excellent. As always, links to everything we discussed are at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your ideas about process and leadership. I oftentimes feel like the leadership behind the data is one of those unspoken things that people forget about when they plug in a technology and expect everything to just work. Process is everything, but you know, thank you so much for the opportunity. This was a blast. Wonderful. Remember, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. See you next time on the Customer Equity Accelerator.